Hi everyone, we are on Season 5, Episode 12. We have Catherine Betley with us from Grief Chat today. Hi Catherine. Hi there. Today we're going to be talking about grief and bereavement, things that many of us have experienced, especially over the last few years, and how Catherine has built a company to uh, support people during this time. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So how are you both doing? I know your plans over the weekend have changed quite drastically, Catherine. And I don't know if that's something that we want to talk about, not talk about. <laughs> I think it's something we're all used to now with the, uh, the vagaries of the last couple of years. So yes, it was a quiet weekend, which was not the way it was originally planned. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll get a chance to do whatever you were planning again at some point. And how are you doing, Roy? Yeah, no, very good, very good. Just uh, depressed that the rain has come down again. Oh, did you guys get hailstone? We've had quite a few days of hailstone as we, well. We had snow on Friday. It was unbelievable. You never, you never get snow in West London. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we had hailstone up here in the, in the northeast. And I was on the phone to my sister, and she lives in Florence. And she was saying to me, she goes, we got hailstone in Florence. And obviously, Italian weather, they were just like, what is this? You know, they just had, they were all very much hidden inside, which uh, I don't blame them because I absolutely hibernate when the hailstones come out. So let's get straight into things then, Catherine, because I know there's a lot for us to be talking about. So I suppose it was a really good idea to start off. Now, I know that people may have uh, come across you and met you a little bit in the insurance space through uh, recently you uncover with uh, Johnny Timpson having a good chat on there about what it is that you guys do. But can you provide us with some information? Sorry, what's led you to focusing upon supporting people, especially if they are um, experiencing grief and bereavement? Oh, sure. And, and like all of these things, there's a story behind it. So I left university having absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with myself with a very mediocre history degree and no particular direction. Um, and actually a friend of mine said there is an opening at a charity locally in Bolton, where I'm originally from. If you can't tell, I went to school with Peter Kay. <laughs> he was a couple of years above me, but we were, we were there together. And she said, you know, you, you seem to be interested in helping people. It's a, you know, it's a nice job. Why don't, you, why don't you have a go? So I went to a children's, um, a children's counselling charity where we did all kinds of interesting and fun things with kids. And I was there for five years and, and ended up as the CEO and expanded that charity fairly dramatically from being a really tiny local charity to being a regional charity, um, which in the 90s was a lot of fun. There was a lot of money around. The grant funding was um, fairly abundant and, uh, and we had free reign really to, to try all kinds of interesting therapeutic models with children. Um, and and I, it really captured my imagination, not, not so much the children, strangely enough, um, but actually the, the whole ethos of, of building services to provide help for people. So from there, I went to Cruise Bereavement Care, um, which is the largest bereavement charity in the UK. Um, started off as a, a regional manager in the Northwest and ended up as the UK Director of Services some 12 years later. Um, and at that point, I was responsible for running all the helplines and the, the face-to-face services across the UK. Um, and found myself quite frustrated because the demand for services was so high that running a team of 6,000 volunteers at the time, we just simply couldn't get people to speak to a bereavement counsellor in, in less than, than several weeks sometimes several months. Um, and to me, that was a source of immense frustration. So I retired gracefully from that role and, and went to the countryside to bring up four children. Um, hence my comments about not finding children particularly exciting. I have lots of them myself. Um, yes, and, and just realised very quickly that I missed being part of, of, of a movement for change, really, I suppose. Um, I, my entire career up until this point has been spent in the charity sector trying to change things for the better. Um, and I really missed that. So I, within a couple of years, I'd set up 
my original business, Professional Help, um, and that was designed to improve mental health services across all kinds of industries, but very specifically starting off within the charity sector. And that has grown and changed over the years, but really held on to that frustration of how do we connect brief people to a counsellor? You know, most brief people don't need counselling. They need some reassurance. They need some advice. They need some information. But actually, they need it quickly when, when they want it and when they've, they've found that courage to, to reach out. Um, so I, I kind of reached out to a friend of mine who used to work with me at Cruise and said, do you know anything about web chat or instant messaging? Um, and she said, actually, this is something that's happening within the charity sector, but largely for either retail conversations or customer service conversations. Um, and I said, well, I'd, I'd really like to try to use it for therapeutic use. Um, and she said, well, that's really fascinating. So Sarah came over, she's now head of Brief Chat, and we have been refining the product really and taking it out to the market for the last few years. That sounds incredible. And um, I think it's one of those things as well that probably, I don't know, I wonder if sort of like instinctively some people think, well, a web chat to do bereavement <laughs> or to do grief or something, it kind of, it it's possibly feels as if it has like a, um, it doesn't have the empathy. You know, we always talk about being em- empathetic and chatting with people and people with people. And this is kind of like a little bit removed from that because but obviously, and I know obviously at some point I'll share with us some of your statistics and that have used it, which are incredible. Um but it obviously works for a lot of people, doesn't it? It does, it does. So you know, back in years and years ago, I met a chap called John Davis, who runs a charity called Much Loved. And he started up what we considered at the time, um, pardon the phrase, as Facebook for dead people, um, online tributes and online memorials. So it was pictures of people who died and, and ways of remembering those people from bereaved people. And at the time, it was so wacky and so far removed from anything that we'd seen before, which was very face-to-face, you know, bereavement services was about being in a group or meeting one-to-one with the counsellor. And I suppose it's a kind of a natural extension to the digitisation of everything. You know, back in 2009, I think it was, when I met John, we didn't have smartphones and cameras. You remember download on, on the sort of broadband, trying to download a picture on broadband <laughs> that took three hours. Um, so we just moved on so fast in terms of technology use. And actually the idea for Grief Chat, while it was very much born out of frustration, um, was actually born on a beach um, because my middle daughter was messaging me through, I think it was Messenger or one of the instant messaging apps. And she just pestered me until she got an answer about something that teenagers wanted to know about. Um, And it really literally kind of was like a light bulb that went on. This is how we do it. We can do this through instant messaging. And actually, it didn't matter particularly whether it was through Messenger or some other form of of chat. However, we could facilitate past conversations was was the key to it all. So, yeah, it is a little bit removed. It's one step removed from the the face-to-face support. But actually, a lot of people find face-to-face support quite intimidating. You need an awful lot of courage to pitch up in someone's office and say, I'm really struggling. Um, so the anonymity of grief chat and the immediacy of grief chat is really what is you know, it's at the heart of it. And we've worked very, very hard for a long time now to make sure that our counsellors can translate that tone of voice into text, which is a real skill in itself that not everyone has. Absolutely. Catherine, we're, we're an industry that sells a lot of um, protection policies, and, and that's a good thing. Were you surprised when you came across advisors who were finding it very difficult to deal with 
uh, you know, the, the, the end product, so to speak. So, so when a policy actually pays out and, and, and we have to deal with the, the real life customer and their family and a support group, we, we surprised the, about how advisors were either good or not so good at dealing with that. No, because that's how we are as humans. In that sense, you know, people struggle. We, we don't know what to say. Even to the nearest and dearest, when something awful happens, we are so afraid of putting our foot in our mouth that we say nothing. And actually what three people have told us, and in my job for 20 odd years, the worst thing you can do is say nothing. You know, sometimes yeah. we're a little bit clumsy, but we are far too afraid of that. And actually, as, as businesses, we are afraid of our staff being clumsy and, and upsetting people. We don't want that quite rightly. Um, so no, I'm not surprised that people struggle with it because I think everybody struggles with it. You know, even bereavement counsellors sometimes don't know what to say because we get faced with situations where you think, actually, you know, if I put myself in your shoes, what do you say to somebody in those circumstances? Yeah, so, 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 so there's, there's lots of right things to say, but equally there's lots of wrong things to say, but the, the problem of the thing is that you should say something. Yeah, yeah, and the, the kind of golden rule, really, for the last few years has always been never to say, I know how you feel, because each grief is so unique and each person is so unique, and the context around that death and that bereavement is, you know, you can't possibly know how someone feels. But what you can say is, I have been in a similar situation and when that happened, what helped me was blah, 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 or... Actually, I'm just really sorry that this happened to you. Yeah. And obviously that goes back to Catherine's central point about empathy, because I think the role of the advisor here is, is to show the empathy. And Catherine and I are both strong advocates of the advisor's got a very central role to play when there's a claim. Um, and I think it really frustrates us that certain people in, in our industry uh, don't think we have that role. And, and I think we have got responsibility because if we're the people that place the policy, we'll ultimately place the policy so if something goes wrong, there's going to be a claim and we have to be integral to that. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, and you're only as good as the last claims process, really, as, as far as I can see. You know, at the end of the day, each, each individual who deals with these processes, who deals with the families, is uniquely responsible for the relationship with that organisation. If it goes wrong, that's probably the place where it's going to go wrong because either somebody didn't say the right thing or didn't quite do something that they, they would have been expected to do by the customer. And the problem is they, these customers are vulnerable by definition. And sometimes when people are bereaved, they spend an awful lot of time telling and retelling the story. Um, and that in itself is quite distressing. It's difficult. It's a difficult relationship and it's very, it's a sensitive one to manage. And, and actually, if you don't manage it well, it will be to the detriment of your organisation. Absolutely. I was going to say the, um, going back, sorry, just something you picked up in terms of, you know, the anonymity. Anonymity. There we <laughs> go. I was, was going to say I was going to have one of those moments, then wasn't I? I'm not going to say it again. That side of things. Um, I imagine because I know we've, we've chatted this bit before as well about how that can actually be incredibly useful. And obviously, I don't mean stereotype, but you know, in terms of men, because I, I think you know there is that thing that you know men don't tend to sort of reach out. They don't tend to speak out too much. They need to be the tough person who is, you know, keeping everybody strong and and things like that. And um, and this has actually ended up being like a really positive area for doing this via this web chat ways. You've got really good statistics about that, I believe, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. In comparison to regular bereavement helplines, and I'm not sure it is that men don't reach out. Men don't reach out publicly. Um, yeah. Actually, if they can do it privately in their own space and time without having to notify everybody about it, men find it much easier to reach out. I think that, you know, we are st starting to see a move where we recognise 
but internalizing distress, which is what men do more than women. Again, we're trying to stereotype, it's not always the case, but actually, you know, finding ways to, to make access as easy as possible, to make it not a song and dance, it's not a big deal. This is a regular part of life. Grief is a regular part of life. You're a rare person if you never have a significant bereavement, a very rare person. This is something that's going to come to us all in that sense. But yeah, men, men really do struggle to, to pick up the phone and ask for help. Invariably, from a female workforce, you know, the counselling workforce is very, very dominated by women. Um, and actually having men able to speak to somebody and they don't know that we have a mix of, of male and female counsellors on the system. You don't know who you're talking to. You are completely anonymous. It's, it's confidential. You, you don't have to give us any identifying information about yourself at all. And for some reason or other, men do tend to use the service much more than the other kinds of agreement services that we run where you have to turn up to a group or turn up to see a counsellor face to face or pick up the phone and ask for help which as a man is a great thing to hear. I guess one of the problems we've got is that as an industry, we are trying to write this, but uh, we're still dominated by men as advisors. Uh, there are far too many men advisors and, and not enough female advisors. Now we're starting to t- change that balance, but I mean, it certainly was one in 10 up until very recently um, in the protection world. I think we've seen figures, Catherine, we sort of one, one, we're getting towards one in three, but you know, there's a problem in, 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 in there as well, isn't it? Because if we're going to be a central part of that claims process, um, you know, the fact that so many advisors are men actually yeah. could, be, could, could be an issue dealing with, with, with some of those uh, empathetic moments that are needed. Absolutely. And you can look at things like um, usage of other health services from men, EAP services and, and kind of anywhere that men have got to kind of find it in themselves to pick up the phone and say, I'm struggling. Um, the statistics on, on usage are really, really low, whereas our statistics on grief chat we can't prove it because clearly a lot of our chats are completely anonymous, but we do ask, you know, we, we obviously moderate and we, we manage the chats as they come through and we do a lot of measurements around who is this chat by and who is it for and what is it about. Um, and, and that tells us that we think probably near to 40% of our chats is a male compared to maybe 20 to 25% of male um, contacts through a helpline. So it's, it is significantly higher. I'd like to be able to analyse the data more than we, we currently can, um, because I think it's a really important way. And I think actually that's borne out by other services like Shout, um, that is a text-based service for anybody experiencing sort of mental distress. Um, yeah, and, and there were one or two other, you probably heard of um, Calm, the campaign against living miserably, originally yep. set up to prevent male suicide. Um, yeah. and, and they have found their anonymized services work miles better for men than anything else that they've offered. Yeah, I think people are often quite shocked to hear that actually the uh, the biggest propensity for suicide is uh, is men 45 to 55 and not not of certain other age groups that people might yeah. expect. So if that's the case, you know, uh, speaking as someone who's writing that, uh, that, that, that uh, particular parameter is something we need to talk about. I mean, do you think that paradoxically COVID's helped in a way because... We've, we've learned to get rid of this taboo subject that we can't be talking about these. And, and we've learned that, uh, to your earlier point, I mean, there can't be any of our listeners that hasn't been touched by this in some reason. So suddenly, you know, it's okay to talk about this stuff in public. I think it's helped enormously in that sense. It's, it's, it's a problem in as much as, you know, if you work in, in my line of work, we are expecting long-term impacts into people's mental health. There is a lot of talk about, you know, pandemic of grief or a pandemic of mental health issues as a result of the fallout from the pandemic. 
Um, but yeah, it, it did help in terms of we had to find new ways of doing things. That helped services like Grief Chat enormously because all of the face-to-face group, local community stuff ended very, very abruptly indeed. And people needed to find a different way of getting support. Um, and we were kind of there sort of loitering in the background and, and saying, actually, we are business as usual. We can come chat to us. So yeah, it helped us. And I think it helped the conversation around grief and loss of mental health. I think what we have seen, though, is, is that no one's not been touched by grief in some way or loss in some way. We all lost confidence in the world. We all lost certainty that, that tomorrow will be the same as yesterday. You know, when, when your access to your usual routines, your access to sort of social support and what you normally do to decompress after a day at work, whether that is go to the gym or meet a social club, or go playing bowls, go to the pub, whatever it is that you do, when all that just stops, actually you kind of question, you know, there's an awful lot of loss attached to that. And, and I think, I'm not sure about you, but certainly I, by about 12 months in, I was thinking, is this it? Is this, this is where, where we're going to be forever. We've lost all of this, um, you know, all of our connections and we we're having to find new ways of doing things. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it has changed the conversation and it's definitely changed the way that people seek and access support. I mean, I can only back that up with, you know, the sort of friendship groups that I hang around with. I've never heard so many men talk about mental health in their lives. Okay. Yeah. Very openly and, and, and in the strangers of situation, if we're going to watch a football game or, or playing bowls or, or, or whatever. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's some really powerful changes that have occurred. I mean, there, there is a point here that a lot, a lot of our listeners will have, you know, insurance policies that have EAP systems within them and mental health systems within them. I mean, what, do, do you rate those? How, how important are they in terms of the, uh, you know, that, that engagement? Or is it, is it actually better that the, a few of us that are going to a football game are talking about this? It doesn't matter as long as you do something in that sense. Yeah, I do rate EAPs very highly. I'm the secretary of EAP UK. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I, I'm kind of obliged to you because we provide EAP <laughs> services in my other business. Um, but do you know what? I like, you it, see how I line that up quite well there. <laughs> did that very well there, I'm impressed. But no, EAP services provide a really helpful and useful short-term solution for a lot of people. Um, the one thing I would say, being a more of a grief specialist than an EAP specialist in some ways, is that grief counselling is different because what we're not trying to do is change the way that people respond or how they think about their loss. What we're actually doing is giving people time and space to figure out what's happened to them, who they are now, what's next, um, and what's changed. And that's, you know, we're not trying to change people's behaviours and outlook, which is very different. So actually, I think EAPs are very well placed to support people with short-term mental health issues. Most are not geared up at the moment to deal with serious mental illness or serious mental health problems. And we have a problem in the system because actually the health service isn't particularly well geared up either at the minute. Um, but there is a part to play. Um, but it, for grief in some ways, I would say seek out somebody who is specially trained or has education knowledge around grief and loss because it's a little bit different. CBT is never going to work for grief and loss ever. Um, yeah. It's just not. I was going to say, um, and just again, because things we've talked about before, and I suppose, you know, we're saying, you know, and we're saying you know, there's probably nobody really who's not been touched by grief or bereavement in the last couple of years. And at least at some point in your life, you know, people will experience these things. And I, I wonder if we could talk about maybe like the scale of the need here. I know you had the phenomenal amounts of conversations with people last year, didn't you? 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we went really from a tiny startup doing a proof of concept in 2017. And then in 2018, we took less than, fewer than a thousand chats. We didn't have as many partners and we were kind of just playing around with it on the website. And then, of course, we get into gearing up a little bit and the pandemic hit and we, we completed, I think, about 49,500, nearly 50,000 chats in 2021. Um, and that's kind of continuing to grow slower now than it was doing. Um, but that's, I mean, our chats are really, um, they're not driven. It's Chat has got the chat box on, on the website, but we're driven by our partners, if you like. So it's more about partners sending their bereaved customers to us. So actually our partnerships reflect very directly on, on the numbers of chats that we get. Um, but we are finding more people, particularly now we've had most people have gone through a first anniversary if someone, especially if someone's died during the pandemic and there was a very particular set of circumstances for everybody who had a bereavement, whether it was couldn't be with somebody at the end of life or couldn't have a proper funeral or a funeral that they would have wanted um, or couldn't meet up with friends and family to commemorate the life of that person. You know, we've, we've gone through most of the first year anniversaries now um, and actually people are realising that this is, it's, it wasn't a bad dream and actually this is, this is a new way of living and, and we are without this person and sometimes I think we've, we've found on grief chat that people are still really struggling to um, accommodate, I can't say accept, because there's a lot of people who never accept loss, um, but accommodate the fact of this, this person died in this really rare and unique set of circumstances. Catherine, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're aware of a situation that the PDGs recently got involved in, but um, we, it, came, it, it came to pass, as they say, that there were several insurance companies out there who, for some ridiculous reason, thought that they shouldn't come and tell the advisor when a claim came in. Um, and uh, we got quite uh, frustrated and actually angry about this because we, you know, we felt that we had a role here as well. Now, yeah, there may be the odd, the odd person that doesn't want their advisor knowing, um, but you know, we, our view is that that's few and far between. So the, the PDG called on a charter, which basically said that every time a claim comes in, you're pretty much obliged to go and tell the original advisor who sold the policy that a claim's been made. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I would imagine that those advisors are well-placed to give people access to the services that they need. Um, so it seems strange to me that you wouldn't involve that person as being kind of a linchpin, I suppose, to all of the connections between the policies that families have taken out and the support that's available and, and how best to get the most out of your plans. Um, yeah, it would seem really important to me that those people are involved. Uh, great to great to hear that because I think it's it's just important. It's not just advisors saying this; it's people on all sorts of sides of the fence. And and actually, when you talk to real life customers, this is let's face it, what we do this job for. They all agree with that. So we just found it a bit strange. And uh, a quick a quick mini shout out to any insurers that are listening that are still not doing that. Please start doing it because uh, it's actually something that uh, uh, we feel very very strongly about. Don't we, Catherine? Absolutely. I, I think you have to sort of think of it as well that. With a lot of people using advisor, um, a lot of them aren't insurance savvy. Um, so just like they would maybe use an accountant because they're not tax savvy or pension savvy or use a, a full financial advisor for their investments and everything like that. They've come to you because you are their specialist, you know, similar with a lawyer. You know, if they're wanting to go to someone for a, a wills or trusts of some sort, um, they're not going to just go suddenly to someone else, you know, sorry, to some higher company of some sort that's arranging something they're going to go to the person that they trust because they they don't want to speak to a big corporate they want the person they've got to know that relationship that's there and almost 
if you if there's a barrier to allowing that the advisor to help them you are kind of putting a barrier in their ability to actually take even more time to like you said to accommodate in a sense the grief or the bereavement because instead of being able to focus their energy on that they're having to navigate a whole system without that trusted you know in a sense almost like a trusted friend that's beside them so I know obviously when we're talking about like the insurance world as well and we're talking like specifically we talk about protection insurance and things like life insurance um, critical illness covering and protection things like that I think for the bereavement side of things it, it can be quite clear where you, you you and your team in a sense would possibly step in Catherine you know sort of like we're talking about with the life insurance somebody's passed away so their loved ones are, are reaching out there's been a bereavement and um and, and yeah, you know, th- that's that's very clear. It's, it's, there's, it's, there's no gray there. It's kind of black and white. You've lost somebody. They've, they've unfortunately passed away. You're going to step in. And then we've got the other side of things so with the grief. And I think it'd be quite good to start maybe even explore a little bit the terms of grief and what that kind of means in terms of reaching out to you guys, because I kind of see grief as a number of different things. So I kind of feel like could grief be classed as someone who has long COVID and is grieving for the life that they no longer have or someone who's been diagnosed with a very significant condition like Parkinson's or cancer and that they're facing a very emotional um, and, and quite traumatic change of circumstances and just even thinking then what we were saying then about COVID you know and, and people you know, you're saying about being able to cope with um, not cope you know to, as best as possible cope with a bereavement um, but just generally that's that loss of our usual existence in a sense it's kind of like where does where does the grief boundaries kind of come in when 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 do people have grief that's appropriate to come to a grief counsellor and what doesn't fall within that kind of bubble if you ask me every type of grief falls under the remit which is why we're not called bereavement care or bereavement chat or whatever because you know when I first started 20 years ago I think it was about 2002 um, in bereavement people didn't even know what bereavement was no, it wasn't a word that was in great common usage. Um, so we, there's been an awful lot of work to, to kind of improve awareness of what grief and loss is, what bereavement is, specifically bereavement by death. There are lots of different types of bereavements. You know, we, you can lose your health, you can lose your um, economic standing in the world or, you know, your security or you, there are all kinds of losses that are appropriate to speak to somebody about the grief connected to that loss. And we do speak to people um, on the service about coming to an end of life situation. So people who themselves have got a long term condition or a life limiting condition um, and, and actually what that means. You know, the number one fear who did the research, but the number one fear of people who are dying is the people who, that they are leaving behind. Most people, they may be concerned, of course, about their, their own end of life, but actually most people's fears relate to other people that they care about. Um, and, and actually, that's really important that people are able to, to talk freely um, and plan properly for the, the end of their lives. You know, that, that's a, um, a really important step for a lot of people. I think that goes full circle to our earlier point about advisors still being involved, because presumably one of the questions you get asked in the anxiety side of this is, 
is how we're going to survive from a money point of view. Yeah. And, and, and again, Catherine and I would both argue that's exactly why we should be involved at claim stage, because we've got a role to play sometimes, um, you know, and someone might have taken a policy out for a certain reason. But, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an often quoted statistic that uh, a lot of critical illness policies that were taken out to pay mortgages off don't pay mortgages off in totality. And I think that's a positive thing, because what that means is that the advisors getting involved and look at the, the entire pet picture uh, and sometimes paying debt off isn't actually the right thing to do so um, presumably you'd agree that there's another role for advisors there in terms of the uh, you know the, the the financial side and then of course the, the often quoted statistic that one in three mental illnesses starts off with financial pressures um, so you're presumably seeing this all the time yeah absolutely and and you know despite the uh, the us's best efforts to add grief as a mental illness into the dsm recently I'd be really resistant to the idea that, that grief is an illness as such, but it can definitely cause illness. You know, if, if you are struggling along with your mental health or a particular issue that related to grief or loss or bereavement for long enough, um, it can make you ill in terms of your physical um, capabilities and, and your mental health as well. So, yeah, I think advisors actually probably have a broader role than I'd ever considered in that sense in terms of providing that practical information making sure that people have the right products and services and understand what are in the things that they've already purchased and how, how that can benefit them, but also kind of walking with people through the maze of, of getting stuff done after a bereavement and that support that goes with it. I'll give you another anecdote, which hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll agree with, which, um, many of our listeners will be involved in the group market. And sometimes the argument against having group death in services, oh, we've got a very young demographic. Now, as all three of us know, people die of all sorts of ages. And one of the things we've done recently with uh, an unfortunate death is that we arranged by the insurance company to have grief counselling for the entire population in that particular company, because the person that died was 25 years old. Okay, And what the mm -hmm. HR um, director said to me, you know, almost from day one is it really affected the younger people in the company rather than the older people because suddenly you know they there was someone that they knew that they were going out with who died who was 25 and and that had massive ramifications and I, hopefully you'll agree that that's a great example of where your profession can come in alongside the insurance company and, and really help with with, with with talking to people absolutely yeah and to go back to your point about the pandemic as well actually the the, the rising grief anxiety or death anxiety has been astronomical and that that absolutely covers young people as well because they have seen people like me go through this and actually not survive or end up with long COVID and their life prospects and, and what the future looks like is completely unrecognisable. You know, at one point we were saying during the pandemic, look, this is this is something that tends to affect people with comorbidities or older people or more vulnerable people. And actually the reality bore out that actually lots of young people were affected as well. And that can be really shocking when you are a young person and you think you're indestructible, as we all did when we were young. Um, and actually somebody dies and, and, and that really resonates, I think, for a lot of young people. And they say it, it kind of the, the, the reality that this could happen to me, um, I think, can, can be a real shocker for people I think that kind of feeds in as well so it's like going back to my advisor head and so I just just hearing all of this is then how people feel about potentially even trying to access insurance again going forward because you know there are a number of people that we've spoken to who said oh I had depression because of bereavement I know that's going to affect things and and things like that and as an advisor you, you kind of start going it's not necessarily going to affect things don't you know please don't worry you know it, it's it's all very reactive to timings and you know sort of how strong somebody's symptoms were and the types of products that we're looking at um but 
that in itself, you know, not only people are worried about their health, but then like we were saying about the financial side of things, you know, people, some younger people are starting to get much more in tune with the fact of, you know, they need to be more in, in touch with like pensions and maybe putting some insurances in place to look after income and, and things like that. And actually then they then maybe looking at these questions and thinking, well, hang on a minute, I do I say yes, do I say no? And then that starts to build into something else and it kind of possibly even prolongs what they've they've been feeling previously because they're kind of like, well, I'm going to have to go through this again and then it's automatically bringing back up a time that isn't great for them. And um, it just seemed to feel as if it kind of is it's reaching out into so, so many different areas and, and probably areas that from the start, a lot of us wouldn't even think about. You probably think grief. I think a lot of people would probably say grief and bereavement. All right, okay, somebody's passed away. And that would be probably an initial sort of knee-jerk reaction if someone said to you, oh, just tell me a really short summary. But it's huge. There's, there's so, so many aspects of it. But um, do you want to, because we're coming towards the, the end of the, of the podcast, do you want to tell us a bit more about Grief Chat then, Catherine, and stuff like just really explain who you are, whereabouts your position, how people can get in touch? Sure, yeah. Um, the easiest way of getting in touch is to go to www.griefchat.com uk. we're on facebook and twitter and linkedin and all those places you would expect to find us as grief chat um, and essentially it's, it's the simplest it's one of those things that, that where you build something that's an incredibly simple solution and go why did we not do this years ago and it, it literally takes 10 minutes or so to install grief chat it's a little bit of html code you put it into your website or a customer environment or wherever you think people should access it and up pops a little chat box and behind that is one of our professional vetted CPD accredited uh, counsellors who uh, essentially can just then chat back and forth with a person about whatever is bothering them at the the time um, and give them support, give them advice and information if that's appropriate um, and just be with them in the moment essentially. So we we tend to, our average chat length at the minute is about 24 minutes, (laughs) give or take, Um, but we tend to cap chats at about an hour. People can come back as often as they need to so it can act as, as an, a gateway into longer term counselling for the people who need it. It acts as a, an immediate at need service for the people who need that. It acts as a, a safety net for people who are worried. Actually, we get a lot of very early bereaved people who say, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this because it's too early in the process to really know what's happening. And it acts as a, well, do you know what? This is how grief looks and feels. This is what to expect. This is when you need to, to think about getting extra support if further down the line. You're still really struggling um so it, it does a lot of different things in the most simple way yeah that sounds absolutely brilliant well, thank you and thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, the information about grief chat and just how important it is and uh and i hope to see even more areas where sort of like websites in our kind of field where i sort of go on and i can see you sort of popping around in there and knowing that people have, uh, have taken this as, as seriously as it does need to be taken i also think that this is a great example of the collaborative approach that the industry is now taking you know, how can we not be talking to the likes of Catherine and to a certain extent, probably vice versa, because at the end of the day, we're dealing with the same customer who's got the same situation that we've come in slightly different directions is, you know, make, makes no odds. So I think this is great that, you know, this is uh, something that our listeners should. Uh, and I, I, you know, I had a good look at the website. I'd encourage everyone to go on and have a look. It's, it's fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for all of your insights, Catherine. It's been really, really helpful. Uh, next time, I'm going to be back with uh, Matt Ran 
and uh, we're going to be going through some more special client risks and talking about how they mix with insurance. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk and don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the Opto members. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you.